0: It was not until February 1797 that he joined them in Calcutta. Arthur Wellesley was now in his 28th year. All that had passed hitherto might be regarded as his schooling. He had been an obscure and foolish boy at school, to all appearance. He had failed to make his mark as a military student on the main. He had been a dilettant staff officer and a recitant member of Parliament. Money and family had apparently made him what he was, neither better nor worse than many another young British officer. In his brief campaign in France, he had conducted himself creditably, but had come away with a distaste for the service, as it was then conducted. To revert to our former parallel, Napoleon, at 28, was on the high road to world mastery, Wellington, at twenty-eight, had not yet found himself, but now, on his trip to India, he was on the threshold of his career. His deeds there, and on other fields, were to astonish the world. Did they also astonish the silent officer himself? It would require a detailed account of the Indian campaign to trace adequately the gradual rise of this officer in the service for his was not a meteoric, or spectacular rise. It was by gradual steps, but each step found him fully prepared. This, perhaps, is as near the secret of the great soldier's success as we can get. He was never a self-advertiser. He never talked much, but he was keenly observant, and his wonderfully retentive memory aided him at every turn. He could go through a countryside once, and then be able to map out an attack using every natural advantage to its utmost. And best of all, his superiors were beginning to discover his merits. They soon found, beneath his quiet exterior, a keen intellect and an indomitable will. Within two months after reaching Calcutta, he was consulted by General St. Leger, on a plan to establish artillery bases, and was also nominated to command an expedition against the Philippines, then under Spanish control. But he preferred to remain and fight it out in India. "'I am determined that nothing shall induce me to desire to quit this country until its tranquility is ensured,' he said, which recalls to mind the famous saying of Grant's, "'We will fight it out along this line,' if it takes all summer. Wellesley's next appointment was as commander of the Mysore Brigade. His brother Richard, Marquis of Wellesley, had been appointed Governor-General of India, and the two men were destined to exercise a strong influence on affairs in that disturbed country. While nominally in control of the land, the English possessions actually included only the narrow strip running along the various sea-coasts, the interior being overrun by unruly tribes of sepoys under Tipo Sahib. It required careful planning and equipping of armies marching from opposite sides of India to meet and crush this formidable rebellion. In all this strenuous work of field and garrison, Wellesley took an active part. At one time, as governor of Seringen as Patum, at another, as brigadier-general, personally directing assaults upon some native fortress, and, after its capture, restoring order and discipline, and thus ensuring the respect and confidence of the natives. "'I have been like a man who fights with one hand and defends himself with the other,' he wrote at this period. "'I have made some terrible marches, but I have been remarkably fortunate.' first in stopping the enemy when they intended to press to the southward, and afterward by a rapid march to the northward in stopping Sintia. In 1803 he was made Major General with the title of Sir Arthur Wellesley, and two years later returned to England as one of her most trusted and esteemed commanders. And England had need of just such men as he, There was still more stirring years ahead in Spain and elsewhere until this strong silent man had emerged into the Iron Duke of Wellington, who should meet that other man of destiny on the Plain of Waterloo. Wellington won his success by his infinite capacity for taking pains. His life defies the biographer to analyze, whether through the medium of a lengthy volume or a brief chapter— because it was made up of so many little things. There were the duties of each day, but he not only did them thoroughly, he also learned through them the larger grasp of the next day's problems. A contemporary pen-picture of the Sepoy General on his return to England in 1805 will serve to show us what manner of man he appeared to be to his subordinates. Captain Shearer, who has left this portrait, says, General Wellesey was a little above the middle height, well-limbed and muscular, with little encumbrance of flesh, beyond that which gives shape and manliness to the outline of the figure, with a firm tread, an erect carriage, a countenance strongly patrician, both in feature, profile, and expression, and an appearance remarkable and distinguished. Few could approach him on any duty or on any subject requiring his serious attention, without being sensible of a something strange and penetrating in his clear, light eye. Nothing could be more simple and straightforward than the matter of what he uttered. Nor did he ever in his life affect any peculiarity of pomp of manner, or rise to any coarse, weak loudness in his tone of voice. It was not so that he gave expression to excited feeling. His reputation as a great soldier will stand for all time, not because he defeated Napoleon, but because his whole military career was built upon duty. It was not ostentation, but merit that won him the supreme command. His ideals were always high. We must get the upper hand, he advised, and if once we have that, we shall keep it with ease and shall certainly succeed." Important Dates in Wellington's Life 1769, May 1st, Arthur Wellesley Born 1785, attended military school at Angiers, France 1787, entered British Army as Ensign 1793, became Lieutenant Colonel seventeen ninety four saw his first active service in flanders seventeen ninety six colonel sent to india eighteen o three major general eighteen o five married charlotte packingham eighteen o eight made lieutenant general and sent to command peninsular war eighteen fourteen created duke of wellington 1815 Defeated Napoleon at Waterloo 1827 Prime Minister 1852 September 14th Died End of Wellington, Part 2 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas